So we will be in Romans 9 today, or most of it, the bulk of it. So we'll be in verse 29, so we'll cover verses 30 through 33 next week when we hit chapter 10, because they go together more. But how many of you guys uh, know what's going to happen this year? Nope. Yeah, how many of you guys have made some kind of goals or plans, though, at least, for things you'd like to get done this year? I think for a lot of people that is a normal, I wouldn't say normal, but that's the thing. Like, hey, it's the new year. I want to work on this. I want to do that. I want to paint the house. I want to do whatever. We all have goals, right? We should make plans, right? We want to make plans to, to, to drive us forward to do something. We're just not existing, just going through life. But but we also have to be aware that God can step in at any time and change those plans or redirect us at any moment. And God has chosen each of us for His purposes, and even though we don't always see what those plans are, we have to trust in God's sovereignty. When things, so when things happen, we don't get bent out of shape and say, well, this was my plan, this was not, you know, whatever God's doing was not my plan. I don't like this, I'm unhappy with God now. And we may have all done that at some point in our lives. Well, this wasn't, I kind of tell the joke about, you know, I had a thing where the two places I didn't want to get stationed at were, were Florida and California. And we got stationed in southern Georgia, which is pretty much Florida. And I married a woman from California because I got stationed here. And then we come back here all the time and now we live here. You know, my plans did not align at that point with God's plans and he still said, this is what you're doing. Get over it. Right? And so that's what happened. So we had to be flexible. Right? And so no matter what happens this year, as we have our list of things we may want to accomplish, you know, we need to look at what God is doing in our lives from today, from yesterday, all the way through. And so when we get to the same point next year, we can say, okay, God did A, B, and C for me, for the church, for my family, whatever it is. And that way we can take comfort in the fact that that's what God's doing. You know, God is working in our lives and He's guiding us through the life for His purposes and also for our benefit, though. And that's the other thing we to remember is He's doing things for our benefit. Because He doesn't make mistakes. I think that's the important part where we may not have things happen, want to happen to us that, that do happen, but we have to understand that God is not making mistakes. So even though we don't see it yet... Maybe today we'll say something happens and we don't like it. We don't know what's going to come out the other side and say, oh, this has actually turned out better than I could have done it. Right? And so the same thing happens when, when, Jesus, when the Father sent Jesus as part of the plan. Right? He knew all along that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. That was the plan. It wasn't just like, oh, let me fix this problem. Let me send Jesus down. It was like, this is the plan beforehand, before everything happens. The Jews didn't want to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? And so Paul is writing to the Jews in this letter. Right? Remember, he's writing to a partially Jewish congregation and a partially Gentile, you know, pagan background, people of pagan background that are now all together in the same church. And the Jewish people are having some problems reconciling what they understand as what the plan is or was, you know, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, to what has happened now what, and what's recorded in what we call the New Testament. And so Paul wants the Jews to know that Jesus is who he said he was. And, that he, and also that the Gentiles are included in the term God's people, right? That's the thing that's going on here is that he's saying, look, it's not just for you. He's not just for you. 
you know, the Messiah isn't just for the Israelites, it's for everybody, it's for God's people. This is how, who, who he's bringing in. And we're going to see as we go through, because he uses a lot of Old Testament references in this, in this passage or this chapter. Because the Jews are concerned with works, but he's telling them, look, the only way to get to God is through faith. Because that's the people who, the remnant, the people that lasted through the, through the exiles, that lasted through the exodus and all that, those people were there because of their faith. Not because they followed the law, because especially even Exodus, there wasn't any law to follow really. So we're going to go ahead and read Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. It'll, it'll kind of set up the two, the two pieces, at least the first two points, and then the last part is verses 14 through 29, and that's the bigger chunk, but there's more because it's, it's more verses because he uses a lot more Old Testament references. So we can cover them kind of easily. This is what Paul says. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Christ, who is God over all. Praised forever. Amen. Verse 6. Now it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descendants, descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are all of Abraham's children his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. We're going to stop there. We'll cover the rest of it as we go. But Paul's making a couple cases here. And, and so here's the main point of this, though, that God's righteousness is in the gospel of Jesus and not the law. Right? So we are adopted through the righteousness of Jesus not the law. Not our how well we do things, how well we check all the boxes, but it is how we give our faith over and our lives over to God. Right? And that's how what makes us righteous. And so first we, we see the gospel doing things. We see and the title of this is that the gospel works. And so first the gospel adopts us. And so Paul Paul's heart aches for his brothers and sisters. He's, he's really thinking, like, why don't you guys get it? I'm here telling you, you, you've had the scriptures, you've had all these things. I'm telling you this, and his conscience is ruled by the Holy Spirit. So he knows logically that everything is going to work out. He knows it, and we're going to see here, through here that who needs to be elected, who needs to be saved is going to be saved, but he still is like, I wish all of you could be saved. Right? And I'm sure we feel the same way. Why can't the whole world just get on board? Why can't this church be filled with people who are here to hear the gospel all the time? And every single church around the country is like that. And they're packed in. We have several services a week. Because everybody's just on board. But we know that's just not going to happen. Because people are people. And Paul, but Paul goes so far as to say, I wish I could take the curse. I wish I could take the curse for them. And cut myself off from Christ. I, I wanna, I'll give up my benefit. I'll give up my eternal life if everybody else could be saved. And that's how much love he has for his people. But he knows that it's not, it's not to be. And he's, but he's okay with that. We see him reconciled. It's almost like he's working this out for himself as he writes this. 
Because we know this isn't this is how is not how it works, right? We know that Christ already died for his people, but we see Paul living up to what he said when he said a brother is laying down his life for another for another. Right? That's what Paul's doing, is I wish I could do this. I wish it would I wish it would work. Because God's covenant is the adoption paperwork for his people, though he knows that the, the Israelites are under the covenant, but not everybody's still technically under the covenant. They are, but they aren't, because they don't want to be here, they don't want to follow, they, they, they don't care about the faith, they care more about the rules. Because some of the Israelites think that Paul is looking to replace Judaism, right? That Christianity replaced Judaism, but as one commentator puts it, and Paul really gets across this, his whole, all of his writings, that, that Christianity is Judaism fulfilled. And even in Matthew Christ says that he is the law. He has fulfilled the law, right? So that so we're not he's not replacing Judaism. He's fulfilling it. This is what it's supposed to happen. And so Paul gives the history in verses four and five, and it all leads up to the birth of Christ. It says their ancestors are theirs, and from them by physical descent came the Christ, who is God over all. I remember Jesus was crucified technically because he said he was God. That's what they said. It was blasphemy. That's why they took him to the Romans. Because they couldn't kill him. They couldn't kill him by themselves. But they had to make up a charge or give it to them. So when Jesus said he was God, in so many words, they didn't want to hear it. And so because they thought that the Old Testament prophecies would be fulfilled in a different way, they're like, well, this isn't supposed to how it's supposed to be. Even though Christ's arrival was prophesied in the Old Testament, we read it, for Christmas, for Christmas Eve, Matthew tells us that the wise men knew about the prophecy. They followed the star to come to Bethlehem from, from Persia. So they walked a couple hundred miles to get there. Herod, however, didn't know. And when he asked the priest, they did, oh yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Yep, that's, that's true. That's right. It says it right here in Micah. But they seem to ignore it because we don't, we don't know how many of those people that were the scribes and everybody else really got on board with Christ, but they were probably not a lot of them. Right? We know Nicodemus was in the Sanhedrin, so he was in that ruling class, things like that. But not everybody did. And even today, this is going on. The Jews don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, because Veronica was asking, his question, asking me questions last week about certain things. But if you look it up, there's a lot of people that there's a, there's a couple of organizations that try to get the Bible, the New Testament, into Jewish, into the Jewish language or Hebrew so they can read it and understand it themselves and they're like, I didn't know this. I didn't know this part of the story. I didn't know these things because they only have one half of the book. Right? They, they have it in this, so the book isn't finished on their end. But we have the whole book and I'm not saying we're better but we have the other piece. We have what the, makes the whole other first part of the book make sense. It was like watching a movie halfway through then stopping going, I don't care how it ends. Somebody else will tell me how it ends. You just paid thirteen dollars. You're gonna leave the halfway through? That doesn't make sense because you ran out of popcorn. They have more popcorn. But they, again, they don't think that Jesus was the Messiah for numerous reasons, and you can Google it. I didn't pull it up because there's, a lot, there's quite a few reasons. But really, part of it is that they think the promises are just for them, and, and he, it would be fulfilled in very specific ways. Even though Jesus ticked a lot of boxes. For these things, they're like, well, he didn't, he didn't take all of them that we think he should have. But here's the interesting thing, because, again, they kind of think that, that the Messiah is just for them, just for the Israelites, that, that when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, some of the people were not natural Israelites. When they left for the Exodus, they took other people with them. 
It wasn't just the Jews, and you can read it in Exodus 33, or Exodus 12, 38, it says, um, If an alien resides among you and wants to observe the Lord's Passover, every male in his household must be circumcised, and then he may participate. He will become like a native of the land. Or listen, he will become like a native of the land. So if you say you believe in Jesus, if you, if, you're, if you believe in God and you want to observe this, house, this Passover, you get circumcised, which is like getting baptized for us, then you are now a native. You are an Israelite, essentially. Because after that, once you read Exodus and everything else, it just says the Israelites. It doesn't say the Israelites plus the other people. It just says the Israelites. So whoever did that on that day is now an Israelite, whether by blood or by giving their blood. right? Because it's two different ways. Either they're born that way or they give their blood up. Because our adoption comes through grace. God could have said, hey, all the Israelites over here, you guys can come with me, but you guys have to wait in the, this is the fast pass lane. You guys can come with me. You guys have to wait in line for the next four hours to get on the ride. And if there's room, you can. And that's kind of how it worked. He you know, said, everybody is coming with me. I will rescue you all. And that's God's grace. God could have turned all those people away, but He didn't. He allows them to come along and He works it in to give the rules to what He's doing and what he, He's accepting these people into His family. And so Jesus now is the way in, right? Jesus is now the new exodus. The Israelites followed God through the desert. We followed Jesus through the world. Right? He's the new exodus. We are following Him as we go. Right? When you accept the gift, you're like a native. You were adopted. You change your name, that's it. You don't, there's no like, oh, he's the other person in my family. He's like, no, he's my son or she's my daughter. You were grafted into the vine, as Jesus tells us in, in John 14. And you get your life from God. Right? When you're slated for adoption, it will be final because God succeeds. Right? In this way, the gospel succeeds in its work. And so verses 6 through 13, we see that Paul is worried about his people. But people can come up, well, if not all the Israelites were saved, does that mean the word of God has failed? And of course, it's like, not, a, not at all. No, it hasn't failed. God has sought out to do what he wants to do, and he makes it happen. Because not all of the Israelites made it to the promised land. He waited for 40 years in the desert, or 38 years technically, going around until the first generation died because they sinned against God. That's why they were in the desert so long. It wasn't because they were lost and you kind of just didn't know what to do in the desert. He was waiting for them to die because they were not the people he needed, not the people he wanted. But many other people throughout history through the Old Testament fell away because they didn't believe in God or more importantly, they wanted to make themselves little gods and ignore God's law or they were so consumed by following God's law that they ignored and forgot God. Right? They forgot the whole purpose behind it. That they're following God. That the law set them apart. That they were special. That they were God's people. But they use it to say, well, look at me. I'm special. I am special. I'm following all the rules and you're not. That makes me better than you. And so Paul points out that it's not that word, God's word has failed because not all of, of, of the people who descended from Israel are Israel. And in verse 8, Paul goes further. He says, The children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. So not everybody is by blood a, chi a child by blood, but it's a chi we're, we're children by grace. 
Right? We're children by grace. So everybody that does this, everybody that is brought into the family is not necessarily physically descended from them. And Paul brings more Old Testament references by talking about Sarah and Rebekah and how they were told what would happen with their kids before they were born. So verse 11 and 12 are key. Excuse me. He says, For though her sons had not been born yet, or done anything good or bad, so that's God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told, so this is Sarah, or this is a Rebecca, the older will serve the younger. Right? So what is he saying here? He's saying that people are predestined, people are elected to be God's children. And for, for some of us, that seems horrible because we don't like that election term because it's a choice of like, why do you get in and why don't I get in? And what did you do to get in? What did you do to deserve it? I want to know that too. Was it because you were following the law? Because you were doing this? No, we see that here, God had chosen Jacob to serve, or, or Esau to serve Jacob, even though he was the younger one. Right, we see this. It was already done before they were even born, before they'd done anything else. This was already aligned. This was already written down. But the question is, who is elected? Is it just the big biblical heroes, all the people we see in the books? You know, Daniel and Isaiah and Paul and Peter. Were this just those people who were special throughout history that had a bigger purpose to serve? Or is it all of God's people? And the answer is, it's all of God's people. And so Jesus, the Jewish people, rightly affirmed God's sovereignty alongside his election of Israel because, well, yeah, he picked us. We're good with that. Because if you don't believe in the sovereignty of Jesus, God picking, you can't say that God picked them. So they're all about that. Right? But then you see people not getting through the promised land. Even Moses didn't make it to the promised land, technically. He died on the other side of the Jordan. Now, he's still in heaven, so there's nothing to do with it. You know, this is the physical promised land. But Paul argues that with respect to individual salvation, God being sovereign precludes him from being bound to choose on the basis of ethnicity. Right? Again, Paul's whole point is saying, look, the Jews, you guys aren't special. You guys were chosen because you were sustaining the bloodline to get Christ here. That's the whole point of the Israelite people, actually. It was so the Messiah could come through them. So now he's saving Gentiles as well, and God has saved Gentiles all along, the people who are non-Jewish, all the way back to the Exodus or before. <clears throat> because God chooses the people on his terms. There's no real reason. We don't know the terms. He's not fickle to say, oh, I like you better than this person. And that's why we have a problem sometimes, because serial killers or somebody else that we deem as bad get saved and they get into heaven. And some other person that you think is a good person, don't. And people have a problem with that. And that's why people you know, say, well, it's all choice. It's your choice. It's their choice. But if they get to choose too, they equally get to have that choice as well. God forgives the crimes no matter what they are. And we have to work through that because it is frustrating. It is frustrating, right, when you see everybody who's obeying, when we go back to the speed limit thing, everybody's obeying the speed limit, and that guy who blows by you at 100 miles an hour never gets pulled over. Because what do you do if, if you do see them pulled over? We cheer, right? Yeah, the cops got them. All right, they did their job. Because that's justice, right? That's what we think is justice. But God doesn't have the idea because really we've all broke, we've all sped. So we all deserve the ticket. 
We all deserve to have a ticket from God to say, you don't get in, that's your fine. Not into heaven. So he says, here's your mercy. Here's what, you, here's what I'm giving you. I'm giving you the grace. We're going to cover that in a few minutes. But this divine purpose of being elected depends not on what we do, but upon God's calling. Right? He is setting up Jacob to be bigger, greater than Esau. He was setting up Isaac to be greater than, than um, Ishmael. Because they were, that was the purpose. He picked you for something to do something. Whatever it is, we don't know yet sometimes. And so neither national heritage nor personal merit has anything to do with the sovereign freedom of God and assigning priority. And so one commentator says, This accords with the testimony of Scripture. It says, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And so we kind of hear that sometimes. we like, well, why would God hate somebody? That's terrible. So what it means is it's not interpreted that God actually hated Esau. It's a strong contrast in, in the Hebrew idiom, right? The Semitic idiom. So this is how their language works. That heightens the comparison by stating it in absolute terms. Right? So just like when we say that God so loved the world, we understand what that means when he said he loved Jacob and he hates Esau. So you see the two opposing forces. He didn't really hate Esau. Esau also got blessings even though he was cut off from certain things. But Paul's now building a case for salvation that in no way involves the consent of the individual, right? He's not forcing us. He allows our free will to make this choice, too. That's the thing, right? This is, there's just tension, right? He's not just forcing us, like, you will follow me, right? He doesn't come in here and go, all right, everybody here, that's it. <clears throat> Rather, he's arguing the exclusion of so many Jews from the family of God did not constitute a failure on God's part to maintain his covenant relationship with Israel. He had not broken his promise to the descendants of Abraham. And so we extend that further to us. Just because your family, if you're a Christian, your family members aren't Christians, it doesn't mean God failed. It doesn't mean the person has a greater will than God. It means that you got selected and they didn't. For whatever reason. For whatever purpose you're going to play in God's kingdom, that's why he chose you. And he equipped you with a certain talents and abilities and to teach you things to be and fulfill your role in his kingdom. And so if God elected people and predestined things to happen, then they cannot fail. And that's the important part. We see, so as we're making plans, we know that our plans fall through. Right? I want to do this this year. So what if I don't do it on the first day? Did my plan already fail? Maybe. But when God does it, when God makes a plan, that's it. The plan was already foretold in Genesis 3, after the fall, that the, the, the baby would come from the seed of a woman, Jesus, and he would vanquish evil. So there was never a time when Jesus wasn't going to come to earth and live out what, his, what is recorded in the Gospels. Right? That was going to happen. We go through the Abraham saga. There wasn't a time when Isaac was not in the picture, right? Because what does God tell him all the time? You will have a son. You will have a son. You will have a son. Well, Abraham's like, it's been 60 years, dude. Where is he at? Right? Because that's how we feel sometimes. Like, you tell me this, but it's not happening. I don't believe you anymore, right? It's very hard sometimes to keep the faith. But we, that's what we have to do. We have to keep the faith. We have to trust God and His sovereign rule. When He promises something, it will happen. And there isn't a time when you being saved is not already foretold and in some ways completed, right? It is written in the plans as God was designing the universe. Your name was in the Lamb's Book of Life before, before the world was made. Before. Before God ever put the cornerstone down on the earth, your names, our names, whoever will be saved later, was already written down. 
That is predestination. That is what we are designed to do. Right? And you were paid for and bought. And your name was written in Jesus' blood. And it was completed on the cross. Your price was paid for on that cross. And so Jesus going to the cross is the greatest showing of mercy ever. And so in verse 14, we come back kind of to the thing of what should we say then? Is, is there justice with God? Right? Why does He pick some people and others? Is that just unjust? Is He being cruel? Paul says, no, of course not. He says, for he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God has the right to do whatever he needs to do in his world. And again, it doesn't follow human logic sometimes, because guess why? God's not human. God is not somebody who was just so perfect he became a God. God is God. There are things in that statement that we can't ever fathom, we will never ever fathom. Right? And so Paul is like, well, who are you to question? Who are you to question what God is doing and who he shows mercy on and who he doesn't? Because the important part is that God shows mercy to his people. And it's not because we did well, we follow the rules, but because he wants us, he wants to show the world how loving and just he actually is. So Romans 9, 14 through 18, so part of this, the commentator says, God's purpose and election rests not upon human will or effort, but upon divine mercy. So when we're looking to buy things, we can't go and buy mercy. We can't go to God and say, all right, God, here you go. Here's my bank account. I'll give it to you if you get me, get me into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Right? We saw that with the rich young ruler. That's what he tried to do. He's like, well, what if I didn't God? What did Jesus tell him? Give away all your stuff, get rid of all your stuff, and then come talk to me. And what did the guy do? As far as we know, we never heard from him again. He left, and that was it. He's like, I am not cool with that. I like all my stuff, I like all my money, I like having nice fancy feasts and whatever else it is. I'm not doing it. Because the cost was too high for him. And Paul brings this explanation of the Jews not needing to be slaves to the law. And we saw that through chapters 6, 7, and 8. They don't need to be slaves to the law anymore because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, right? Christianity fulfills Judaism. We see how this all, Paul is wrapping all this stuff up together. Because God solved the problem created by mankind with his mercy. Even with Adam and Eve, he could have just killed them and started over. There's only two of them, or there's only a handful of people. He could have got rid of them and started all over. And he threatens to do that in Exodus, actually. Right? He tells Moses, like, I'm just going to kill all you and start over. I'll find somebody else. And he's Moses is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not be hasty. <clears throat> but his, God's mercy is his character. So Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, when Moses is up on the mountain... And he's like, who are you? Tell me about yourself, right? Let me see, that. who are you? And so the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But listen, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grown children to the third and fourth generation. So we see that God is a compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger. Right? He has so much patience, it's ridiculous with us. Because if those of us who are parents, when our kids act up, what do we, you know, sometimes we can exercise patience for about five minutes. 
and then we're done. Especially if you have kids or grandkids who got battery toys, toys that required batteries. We kind of had a strict rule, like, don't give us toys with batteries, or we just, the batteries died, oh, because they're annoying and you lose patience, right? And so God is, God is so compassionate with us, he's so patient with us, that it's, it's unfathomable. And we should thank him every single day that that's what he does. Because he puts up with my shenanigans every day, he doesn't strike me down, which I'm thankful for. Because right, I'm hard-headed and I'm very cantankerous. So what Paul is saying here is that God brought together in his new order those of faith regardless of their national background. And right? again, we come back to that because that's the important part here. He's trying to get these two groups together. He said, look, you are now one group. You are one nation. And although he worked out his redemptive plan through his son Jesus, a descendant of David in terms of his human nature, his new people are comprised of those who are Gentile by birth as well as Jewish. It is faith, not national origin, that brings a person into the family of God. Right? That is the whole point of the gospel. It doesn't matter what, what your status is, where you're from, what you believe before, what you did before. If you have faith and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that He's your Lord and Savior, that He died on the cross for your sins, you are now in. You are now a believer. Now you have to shift your life. It doesn't mean you go back to doing everything you used to do. Right? There, there are pieces and prices to pay. But that's what it is, is there is no law to adhere to necessarily. Not all the rules. And so wrapping it up, right? there's nothing wrong with making goals or having aspirations. Right? We should all do things and want to be better. Every, every year we want to be a little better. You know, whatever that means for you. And, and it's good. It's good. Hey, well, I want to travel more. I want to do this more. I want to see the family more. Whatever it is, those are good goals to have. But we have to be open and available to God leading in our lives. Things are not always going to go how we plan them with, with a specific direction or maybe just a matter of timing, right? Maybe what you want to do will be fulfilled next year. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be like God and be patient. But the Jews didn't think Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies, but Jesus told them that he did. And Paul is telling this next generation here the same thing. He's like, look, Jesus is the guy who said he was. Jesus is for everybody. So don't be so focused on your plans, but work on aligning your life with God's plans, right? They should dovetail nicely, and if anything, God's plans take over your plans. Right? They trump it. So here's what we need to do. We need to be aware of what God is telling you. Be aware of what God is telling you. You may not like it. You may, it may seem crazy. It may seem super odd. But you've got to trust God, right? Get to know God. Pray and read or listen to the Bible. Right? Listen to the Word of God as you look forward to this year. Next, we have to be ready, because you don't have to be aware, but you have to be ready for what God has planned for you, because there are certain things that we have to do. There's actions we need to take to make this happen. It doesn't mean God can't do it. It means He wants you to do it. Right? It's like teaching you how to cook. God can make you a meal, but He wants you to go cook it. He wants you to learn how to cook. And thirdly, be flexible to respond to when God calls you. Right? Be flexible to respond to God when He calls you. And so as we go out this week, right, look for God to guide you in all you want to do and what He wants for you to do this year. And if you haven't already done it, pray about it. Pray, read the Bible, read things, 
So if, if, it, if, if your plans don't seem like they line up with God's plans, then maybe you should scrap them. Or maybe put them on the back burner to say, okay, God, this is what I'd like to do. Is that feasible? Is that good? And your life will turn out much better for this year than what you would plan. Because He will make things happen in your life that you can't even fathom. He will put things in place for you that will get you further down where He needs you to be more importantly than, than where you want to be. Right? Because all of us probably want to retire to Hawaii, but not everybody can live on Hawaii. There's just not enough space. And it's actually expensive. So as we go out this week, right, think about that this year. If you have already made plans for the year, right, think about that. Set, set yourself up for success this year. And think about what God wants you to do. So as the guys come up, let's go ahead and transition. And we will sing our last couple songs.